Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. This is our what's becoming our annual Thanksgiving show, and we may, uh, we may, I haven't decided yet, we may go in one of our later segments to the archives to pull out one of our favorites. But we have a lot of material before us, a lot of uh, light, fair. We advertise on this show that uh, we'll talk about whatever we damn well please. And I guess today's a day where we'll take the broader view and consider um, public affairs to be whatever we damn well please. Because, you know, think of all the, the broad scope of, of things out there that are part of our lives and, um, and, and broadly define them as public affairs for the purpose of this broadcast. Because uh, that's what we're going to do. Now, I do want to clarify, we will have no uh, treatments on this show, as far as I know, for your plantar fasciitis by the use of omega-3 fish oils. Something I did here, uh, a little tidbit I picked up listening to KDVS, which I must say my medical background uh, leads me to not support as medically valid. But hey, you know, you ask two doctors, you get two opinions. It's Thanksgiving, and a lot of people uh, are like yourselves, listening to this program at home, on the road, maybe in the firehouse, out in a police car. I I don't know. But, uh, you know, just because it's Thanksgiving, life goes on. A lot of people have to stay on the job, and we we try to specifically uh, tailor our Thanksgiving shows to you folks who are doing your duty today. We're going to go for some lighter fare in the news, I think, and what better way to start then to reiterate our good friend Dave Barry's column, which was uh, nationally uh, uh, distributed last Sunday concerning Thanksgiving. And may I remind you that Dave Barry has told me to my face that he doesn't care if we read his columns on this program. So, let's excerpt Dave Barry. Thanksgiving is a spiritual time of quiet reflection, a time when we pause to remember, as generations have remembered before us, that an improperly cooked turkey is, in the words of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, a ticking meat bomb of death. Yes, it is a tragic but statistical fact that every Thanksgiving, undercooked turkeys claim the lives of an estimated 53 billion Americans. Sometimes the cause is deadly bacteria. Sometimes, in cases of extreme undercooking, the turkey actually springs up from the carving platter and pecks the would-be carver. The only way to be sure you've killed all the bacteria in your turkey is to cook it until a meat thermometer inserted into the breast melts, indicating that the turkey has attained the same internal temperature as the sun. Basically, advises the Surgeon General, you want to be serving your family a 16-pound charcoal briquette. Speaking of which, the hot new Thanksgiving culinary trend 
is to cook turkeys in big, deep-fat fryers, which are hugely popular because they give guys an excuse to spend Thanksgiving outside drinking beer and messing around with a device that could potentially destroy an entire neighborhood. Now that guys have decided to become seriously involved in Thanksgiving food preparation, it's only a matter of time before they come up with a recipe for mashed potatoes that involves a grenade launcher. Of course, not everyone is comfortable with the idea of eating turkeys, which are, let's face it, living organisms like dogs or celery. You may wonder, is there a more humanitarian option that you can serve for Thanksgiving dinner? There certainly is. It's tofu, a semi-food-like substance secreted by soybeans as a defense mechanism. Tofu can be used as a high-protein meat substitute as well as a denture adhesive or tile grout. In its natural state, tofu is tasteless and odorless, but if you form it into a turkey-shaped lump, season it well, add gravy, and bake it for two hours in a shallow pan at 350 degrees, you can also use it for minor driveway repairs. Of course, no Thanksgiving dinner is complete without the pumpkin pie. Here's an easy recipe for this delicious traditional dessert. 1. Using a dangerous knife, cut the top off a large pumpkin. 2. Inside you will find a mess of stringy, stanky, slimy pumpkin innards. Scoop these out and discard them. 3. Now, discard the rest of the pumpkin, because the simple truth, obvious to anyone with half a brain, is that no part of the pumpkin looks, smells, or tastes anything like so-called pumpkin pie. This is why nobody actually makes pumpkin pie. Everybody buys it at the supermarket. But enough about food. Thanksgiving is not merely a time of eating until we are big, fat, bloated, carbohydrate balloons lying motionless on the sofa watching the Detroit Lions while actual gravy oozes from our pores. Thanksgiving is also a time of giving thanks, as the pilgrims did so many centuries ago, for the fact that the malls are open on Friday. Otherwise, we'd have to spend another day cooped up with our loved ones, not to mention toxic levels of leftovers. But in all seriousness, I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I personally am very thankful that I have readers like you who have terrific senses of humor and thus recognize that I'm just kidding around, especially if you are in the turkey, deep fat fryer, tofu, or pumpkin pie industries. There's going to be just no stopping us on this Thanksgiving special. Uh, you know, speaking of couch potatoes, we have a uh, statistical item here we've held on to since April 16th. Americans were uh, are thought by many to be the world's leading couch potatoes, given that we log in an average of 4 hours and 25 minutes a day in front of the tube, according to the Associated Press. But you should note that Americans are now in second place. The Japanese have taken over the role of being the world's leading couch potatoes as they log in an average of 4 hours and 29 minutes a day. And I don't remember, frankly, whether we did this item from the Chicago Tribune uh, from last October. If we did do it, let's still do it again. 
The $550,000 fine the FCC imposed on CBS for Janet Jackson's Super Bowl breast exposure, the largest penalty ever for a violation of federal decency laws, could be paid with one Survivor commercial or 7.5 seconds of Super Bowl advertising time. That'll teach him. And switching the dial from CBS to NBC, General Electric, the parent company of the National Broadcasting Corporation, earns an average of $1.8 million an hour. I assume that, of course, is profit. And, and uh, yes, General Electric doesn't just bring you NBC or partnership with MSNBC. It also makes bombs, missiles, aircraft, and lots of defense technology, which is then reported on, on NBC, and, of course, as working splendidly. Well, maybe not always, but at least sometimes. All right, miscellaneous items. Winter is upon us. Uh, we've had some cold spells of late. And uh, here's an item from Smart Money, which I don't know what to make of this. Reportedly, double-pane windows can cut heating bills by as much as 15%. These windows cost $300 to $500 a piece. But apparently using a kit to apply a thin sheet of plastic to a single pane can achieve the same insulation effect for about $3 a window. I am skeptical about that. I'm, I'm hard-pressed to believe that a sheet of plastic can equal uh, the insulating effect of, of, a, of a trapped uh, layer of air, but I bet you it's 50% as good for $3 versus $300. Also from the business world, when rival kayak suppliers, this come from the, comes from the Week magazine, Harmony and Werner Products recently introduced the same paddles with the same name, Cascadia. The companies decided to settle the dispute in a paddle-off between top executives. Werner President Bruce Furrer won, and Harmony renamed its paddle Tortuga. Is it too late to do a paddle-off between George W. Bush and John Kerry? I think it is. Item in the AP, on that same subject, the day after President Bush was re-elected, the number of Americans visiting Canada's main immigration website skyrocketed from a daily average of 20,000 to more than 115,000. The site provides information on how U.S. citizens can legally move to Canada. Now, we in this program are still gathering data on, uh, on the election because we've had a sneaking suspicion from day one that there's some odd, uh, there's just some odd stats. We would refer you, and we please, we would beg you, we would beseech you, those of you of a mathematical or statistical background, to please check out Stephen F. Freeman's paper, The Unexplained Exit Poll Discrepancy, from the University of Pennsylvania, November 10th. He can be found at stfreema, S-T-F-R-E-E-M-A, at sas.upenn.edu. The last part again, sas.upenn.edu. Take a look at this paper. There is a, um, an analysis of the exit polling, and based on the statistics, how, uh, how much of a prediction one can reliably make. And this is pretty standard statistical stuff. Alas, I'm not statistician enough to verify this, but there is a bell-shaped curve on page six, which I think we alluded to previously in this show, that I would like someone to look at and tell me what they think. The statistical prediction of John Kerry's true percentage of the vote in Ohio, based on the predicted percentage of exit polls, shows that Kerry's percentage of the tallied vote 
is outside the 99% confidence level. In fact, the way it turned out in Ohio, based on the exit polling, where he only got 48% of the vote when the polling said he should have gotten something more like 52, the odds of that are less than one in a thousand. They're in fact 0.0008. A similar swing in Florida has a statistical probability of 0.0028. Now, Pennsylvania, although it remained in the Kerry camp, showed another remarkable swing from 54.1% to 50.8. And 3%, based on a large sampling size, is significant. Well, significant to the point of less than 2 in 1,000, 0.0018. Take the three most important states to this election, Pennsylvania, Florida, and Ohio, and run the odds together. Uh, based on the exit polling, Kerry should have carried all three. He only carried Pennsylvania. And the odds of the actual votes coming out the way they did are about 250 million to one. And yes, as we've said many times in this program, there are three types of lies. Who is it Benjamin Disraeli that said this? There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Um, we're going to come back to this topic, but, uh, you know, because, because, doggone it, somebody has to. In the Week magazine, this week, uh, there's nothing but poo-pooing. They're citing sources from all over the country. The Wall Street Journal, the Orlando Sentinel, the New York Times, USA Today, that distinguished journal. Everybody's talking about these statistical analyses as if they're just conspiracy theories. Well, I don't know. A couple days ago in Ukraine, they had an election, and in that election, the opposition candidate in exit polls was something like 10 points ahead. Uh, on election day, he came out three points behind. There's a lot of a fuss and muss over in the Ukraine over this because it's recognized that exit polls are valid. They're very good tools. In the Ukraine, when we see striking statistical anomalies, we assume it is a fraudulent election. In the U.S., when we have striking statistical anomalies, it appears to be due to flawed methodology in the exit polling. At least that's the explanation that everyone seems to be accepting. Okay? We're going to give it a rest, but um, we'll be back on this topic. Last week, we quoted Dick Morris on this program about the use utility of exit polls in Mexico. Um... Let me quote from the Voter Technology Project from the Caltech-MIT um, uh, joint venture that is examining uh, electronic voting. Uh, from their paper titled Voting Machines and the Underestimate of the Bush Vote. Now, their summary, let me excerpt as follows. One, a series of claims have been made in recent days alleging the discrepancies between exit poll results and the presidential vote in certain states provides evidence of malfeasance. Skipping ahead, part four. We conclude there's no evidence based on exit polls that electronic voting machines were used to steal the 2004 election of President Bush. However, on the very next page, it is noted that per their paper, the polls were off from the official returns by 1.3%. In typical public opinion polls, such a difference would be within the polls' margin of error. However, with the unusually large number of observations in the election day exit poll, over 76,000, this difference is well outside the margin of error. All right, I said I was going to give it a rest, and then I didn't, so now I will. But again, we'll be back. 
All right. We're, uh, we're making some great progress through our miscellaneous, uh, our miscellaneous file. And uh, let's go to our most miscellaneous uh, file of all, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Series, which we love on this program for its uh, eclectic selection of interesting, always interesting facts. Uh, from the Uncle John's Absolutely Absorbing Bathroom Reader, <laughs> we have the following item. But it says on the label... Noting, you might assume that with all the regulations on labeling, you can always tell what's in a product that you just bought. Well, guess again. Here are five examples that prove it's still buyer beware in the marketplace. What better than the issue of fresh frozen turkey for Thanksgiving? The label says, this turkey never frozen. You assume it's fresh. Well, actually... Until 1998, any turkey that was stored at temperatures above zero degrees Fahrenheit could be called fresh. <laughs> then, says the Wall Street Journal, the FDA changed the rules. At present, to be called fresh, a turkey has to be stored above 26 degrees Fahrenheit, the freezing point for poultry. But the label still doesn't have to say frozen unless it was stored at zero degrees or less. So a company can legally say it was never frozen even if it was stored at one degree Fahrenheit. And after all, the Christmas season is virtually upon us. So if you're thinking about getting a CD along the lines of Cape Cod, the enchanting sounds of the surf, you would assume, of course, that the Sounds of Nature CD that you're buying was recorded off of Cape Cod. But actually... <laughs> The CD was recorded, according to the Wall Street Journal, in Naples, Florida. So was Cocoa Beach, The Enchanted Sounds of the Surf, and the rest of the 200 title series. I'd be an idiot to do separate recordings for each title, the producer told the reporter. It's all surf. Apparently many, but not all, of the popular Sounds of Nature recordings are fakes. One burbling stream is actually a toilet. I wound up <laughs> I wound up using a stereo recording system of my toilet bowl filling up, a producer admits. It sounded more like a stream than the streams did. Another producer said he once turned an 87-second roll of thunder into a 30-minute storm. Other tricks include hosing down backyard pine trees to, <laughs> to tape the drip of rain or... Crouching in elevator shafts to catch the howl of winds. And on that note, let us take a break. You are listening to Radio Parallax. On this Thanksgiving, I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I mean about future calamity I used to think the idea was obsolete Until I heard the old man dampen his feet 